Okay, so please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And the last time we looked at the first death in the book of Acts concerning a husband and wife team, Ananias and Sapphira, a very sad event. And I was reading the scripture again this morning just to see if I could get some more light uh, as to what happened on this uh, pretty sad occasion. And I don't think Peter knew what was going to happen. And yet saying that, I will say this, that Peter clearly had apostolic knowledge. Whereas by Galatians chapter 5, verse 10, I believe it is, Paul no longer had it. So Peter knew what had occurred and he challenged Ananias. And of course, he denied it. He didn't come clean. And it says he was carried out and buried. And about the space of three hours later, his wife, Sapphira, comes in, not knowing what has occurred. And Peter gives her a chance to come clean. And she too lies to Peter and vicariously the Holy Spirit. And she's cut down dead and buried by her husband. So I won't go beyond the scripture, but I think it's quite plausible that once Ananias had lied and was found out, two burial plots were dug. And uh, as they say, she was on borrowed time. And after refusing to come clean, she struck down dead by Almighty God. And no doubt that would have sent shockwaves throughout the early church. But let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in Acts 5, verse 17, please. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him which is a sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in a common prison. This is the second time they've been incarcerated, and we were told from Luke chapter 12, not to fear what man can do to the body, but to fear what God can do to body and soul in hell. And the Lord says, Yea, I say unto you, fear him. So you would have thought to this point in the apostles' ministry, they would have been terrified as to what was going to occur, but no, of course they weren't, because they know that they are saved. They know that their mansion is reserved in heaven, John chapter 14, and yet saying that they are still unsure as to which way their ministry is going to go. And this high priest found in verse 17 will be Caiaphas, and Caiaphas and Annas and at least two sons of Caiaphas were found in the earlier chapters of the book of Acts. And I made the case last time that such a family were clearly uh, a dynasty, no doubt they've been around for a long time. You've got at least two high priests found in the book of John and also in the Gospel of Luke. And it's quite obvious that one would have retired and the other would have continued on. But here, the high priest singular in 17, I think, is Caiaphas. And he's very much calling the shots. And this group of Sadducees, this priest system or priest craft is going to be found throughout the book of Acts. And they're filled with indignation, with envy. With jealousy and of course that is why they put the Lord on the cross. They were envious. They were jealous of him. And that's why those in organised religion today are still very envious of those which are outside of organised religion. And uh, are able to do great things for the Lord. But it says they laid their hands on the apostles. Not to ordain them of course but to arrest them and put them in a common prison. I'm still not totally sure as to where this prison would have been located. Clearly they had a detention centre somewhere on the grounds of the temple. And yet, if you go back to the Old Testament, you're going to struggle to find any room or location back in Solomon's temple where they held individuals. But clearly they found somewhere to uh, detain Peter and John, who were very much in the driving seat of the early church. And it's quite possible, if not uh, credible, that the other church leaders were also very busy preaching around Jerusalem. But Dr. Luke, one of the 70 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is only going to focus on James and Peter thus far. Look at 19, please. But the angel of the Lord, by night, opened the prison doors, 
and brought them forth, and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. The angel of the Lord in the new covenant seems to be the Holy Spirit, and I'll explain more on that when we get to chapter 8. But the angel of the Lord, back in the old covenant, as far as I'm concerned, based on my understanding anyway, was the Lord Jesus Christ, a Christophany. And here the angel of the Lord, by night, opens the prison doors, brings them forth, and says, Go and stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. It almost pictures street preaching, I believe. And this great miracle should have resulted in salvation coming to multitudes of people. But read on, look at 21, please. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Organized religion once again, completely misses the simplicity of Christ. Organized religion, of course, put the Lord on the cross. And here organized religion is doing more harm than good. And this is a great tragedy, because... The Lord came to save sinners, and yet for reasons that I don't quite understand, this group of people missed it. And it says here in verse 22, But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. It's clearly a supernatural event. You can't miss it. And yet, unlike chapter 16, where the Philippian jailer, get saved. On this occasion, they're going to harden their hearts, much like you find back in the Old Testament with Pharaoh. And in verse 24, that when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Typically playing it safe, as they say, not really aware as to what is going to come from this or what is going to, what the likelihood is going to be as a result of these men breaking out of jail, as it were, and yet, it says very clearly in 23, the prison truly found was shut with all safety. In other words, the prisoners are probably still in their cells and the keepers standing without, outside before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. And you ask yourself, why wouldn't they see this as a great miracle? Why wouldn't they respond to this as a great miracle? It's beyond me. The heart of man is desperately wicked. And we know from John chapter 3 that men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because the deeds were evil. Sometimes it's easier to embrace sin. Sometimes it's easier to do your own thing. Sometimes it's easier to live life as if there's no tomorrow. But you would have thought such a group of people, priests, scholars, so on and so forth, would have seen this as a great miracle. But no, the high priest missed it. And on top of that, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold the men, whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The Jews are preaching to the Jews. The Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul made it very clear how he was sent to the Jews to witness to the Jews. And on top of that, he wished he could be accursed if it meant the people of Israel being saved. 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people that they should have been stoned. They feared the people, typical men-pleasers. And you know from Galatians chapter 1 where Paul says he wasn't going to be a servant of men. He was going to be a servant of God. He wanted to be aligned with the Lord God of the Bible. He wasn't going to be a man or man-pleaser. 
and yet they feared the people because it was quite possible that they could have been stoned. In fact, if you go back to the Gospels, on many occasions the people heard the Lord Jesus Christ very gladly, and on top of that it says they heard John the Baptist very gladly. Why? Well, because John the Baptist was preaching against Rome on many occasions. So the complexity is so clearly found here, but as I say, the captain of the guard misses it, the high priests miss it, you may have missed it, I could have missed it, Patrick could have missed it, the church could have missed it, if it wasn't for the Lord's mercy, his long suffering, drawing all men unto himself, and we found that very clearly back in John chapter 12, if the Son of Man be lifted up, he would draw all men unto him, and he goes on to say in verse 27, and when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you fill Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five. Let his blood be on us and on our children. That was a cry from the Jewish civilians for the most part, along with some Jewish leaders, of course. And here the high priest is going to interrogate Peter and John. And that term, this name goes back to chapter 2, to be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess, so then he should bow, so on and so forth. And it says one more time in 28, did not we straightly command you, as if they're going to listen to the high priests, that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. That's the whole point of being a Bible-believing Christian. You take your faith into the streets. You don't keep it to yourself. You take it out into your streets and communities and you preach it. This is what you are finding very clearly here in Scripture. They get saved in Jerusalem. They are filled with the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. They preach to the Jews in Jerusalem. And they are still very much in Jerusalem. And yes, I believe the apostles were not born again until Acts chapter 2. But they were certainly saved pre-Acts chapter 2 by receiving an imputed righteousness. But it's... A rather bizarre statement to say, on top of filling there, or filling Jerusalem with your doctrine, do you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? His blood, on the one hand, has already been spilt for the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, and the unbelieving Gentiles. And on top of that, they've already got his blood on them. Matthew 27, 25. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. That's true. Where the scripture says one thing, you follow the scripture... Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and render unto God the things which are God's. And also from Romans 13, the powers that be are ordained of God. So yes, you should obey your state on the one hand, but when your state clashes with the word of God, then you go with the word of God. So take these verses and read them carefully in light of Romans 13. On top of that, please keep this in memory that Acts of the Apostles is not a theological book. Acts of the Apostles is a historical book. If you want to know about soteriology, hamartiology, uh, redemption, repentance, and so on and so forth, you need to read Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. But for a crash course in Israel's early church, from law to grace, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, you're going to get that very clearly found in the book of Acts. Look at verse 30, please. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. The God of our fathers... Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah. Pre the new covenant, the Gentiles were outside of God's remit. 
So the focus here is still very much on Israel. And he goes on to say, whom he slew and hanged on a tree. That term, to hang on a tree, simply means that the Lord Jesus Christ died a cursed death. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you find Absalom who uh, was caught by a tree. And he died, of course, and Judas Iscariot's death also involved a tree. Both individuals are pictures of dying a cursed death. And also, we know from Galatians chapter 3, how Christ died a cursed death. So you see these verses are going to build up once again to the need for the people of Israel to accept that Christ is and was their Messiah. And on top of that, how they were responsible for his death and conspiring with the Gentiles to put him to death. So national repentance is still very much uh, the focus here. And that's why it says in verse 31, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Repentance has been granted to Israel and on top of that, the forgiveness of sins. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 how God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And Paul goes on to say how he wants mankind to be reconciled to God. And he also says from 2 Corinthians 5 how God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means to go out and bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So a Jew cannot say, I can't be saved, because here, verse 31, God has given the Jews repentance. The ability to accept that they've done wrong. The ability to show remorse and contrition so on and so forth. And the forgiveness of sins which of course we will find in chapter 11 has also been given to the Gentiles. A prince and a saviour of course. Prince over the twelve tribes of Israel and a saviour not only over the Israelites but also over the church. 32. And we are as witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God had given to them that obey him. Just believe on him, receive him, the just shall live by faith. And that's all it means when it says to obey him. And it also says here how they are witnesses of these things, eyewitnesses, unlike the writers of the Quran and the Hadith. They were eyewitnesses of the Lord's ministry. And he also says, so is the Holy Ghost. He's saying we have God's authority to say this. We don't have our own authority. Our own authority is worthless. But we stand here this morning, he's saying, in the presence of the high priests and the religious elite, with the Holy Spirit's authority and blessing, so and so forth. Look at 33, please. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Cut to the heart. This is a heart problem. The heart of man is desperately wicked. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This is not a head problem. This is a heart problem. And like I said last time, when you preach the gospel correctly, it can cause one of three reactions. A person can either be mad, sad, or glad. And on this occasion, they are mad. And they want to slay the apostles. The apostles were no doubt a threat to them. And that's why they conspired back in John chapter 11 to put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. And again, I don't understand why these men couldn't have received this message, this glorious message. I can only assume that they were so wealthy, they probably controlled and owned most of Jerusalem. That the thought of aligning themselves to a crucified and resurrected carpenter was too much for them. And maybe on top of that, they were infuriated that... Such men were unlearned, ignorant scholars. They hadn't been to Jerusalem High. They didn't have O-levels or A-levels or GCSEs or THDs or BAs or what have you. They thought, how dare you people come into our circle and lecture us. In fact, you find it very clearly back in the Gospel of John when the 
uh, blind man is healed and they say this man is cursed and the people are cursed and they end up kicking him out of the temple and of course the reality was that they were cursed and they were very much in darkness look at 34 then stood there up one in the council a pharisee named gamaliel a doctor of the law had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them ye men of israel take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men touching these men concerning these men gamaliel thirty four or gamaliel have you wish to pronounce it a pharisee a doctor of the law a thd a ba a scholar and we're told by church tradition that gamaliel trained the apostle paul and uh, we are told that when he came to the end of his life he didn't know where he was going and we are told from jewish tradition that he's one of the early jewish leaders that dreamt up the early notion of purgatory he said he wasn't bad enough to go to hell and he wasn't good enough to go to heaven so he thought that when he would go to his grave when he would die he would go to a third place which of course we know today is purgatory which isn't biblical it's a heresy it's a blasphemy it's a false teaching but here Gamaliel should have known better and he gives advice to the Jewish leaders you men of Israel 35 to take the apostles put them out for a little space and let's discuss this he should have known better he's this big cheese he's this individual who pretty much controlled shall we say Jerusalem high and yet like most great men he's completely ignorant when it comes to the things of the Lord and that's why you were told in first Corinthians God doesn't choose the great things of the world he chooses the base things to shame the wise so on so forth look at 36 for before these days rose up Thutis boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men about 400 joined themselves who were slain and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him he also perished and all even as many as obeyed him were dispersed two individuals that were not told anything else about outside this piece of scripture Thutis and Judas and he's saying these individuals had come along and had caused a commotion and yet nothing came from it and the insinuation is that what Peter and John are preaching is also going to melt away and become nothing substantial whatsoever. 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. That's true. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. That's also true. Let's happily be found even to fight against God. That's true as well. And yet I will say this, that Islam is not of God. And yet that has still grown roman catholicism along with hinduism sikhism freemasonry so on so forth so he's he's partly correct in what he's saying and yet he's not infallible he's just offering his view that if what these men are preaching is of god you cannot overthrow it so it's almost as if he's wanting to accept it but according to jewish tradition he didn't accept it and this great teacher of the apostle paul as i say died an unsaved jew pretty much thinking that he wasn't bad enough for hell, nor good enough for heaven. So he goes to this place called Purgatory, which the early church leaders adopted. And the reason why they did that, I think on the one hand anyway, was to fill in the gaps. And some of the early church leaders, just a quick footnote, were very keen to fill in the gaps, and they would adopt certain heresies, certain doctrines, to deal with some of the gaps in scripture as i say we're not told everything from scripture the secret things belong unto the lord our god but he's partly right in what he's offering uh, the jewish leaders and yet on the other hand he's completely ignorant 
And as I say, he dies an unsaved Jew. Verse 40. And to him they agreed. And when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Public punishment for public preaching. Beaten them. Maybe they scourged them. And uh, this is the cost that true Christians around the world are experiencing every day of the week. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Can you imagine that? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. In fact, please turn to Philippians chapter 1. Look at 27, please. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Wow, you are called to suffer for him, and on top of that, you are able to believe on him, but he says, don't be fearful when these things come upon you, because it's evidence of their perdition, the enemies of the cross, but you, evidence of your salvation. Please go back to Acts chapter 5. And I'll conclude in verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. We saw that very clearly from chapter 2, 46, going into 47. How they went house to house every day and how they broke bread every day. Which doesn't happen today, I might add. So 42 verses will conclude Acts chapter 5. And uh, as you can see, the apostles are fearless. You can see how the angel of the Lord... The Holy Spirit, I believe, was sent to release them. And they were told to go and preach to the people of Israel. Probably in the churchyard or the temple yard, I should say. And yet that doesn't result in a great awakening. That doesn't result in hundreds or thousands getting saved, unlike chapter 2 and chapter 4. And that doesn't result in anybody getting saved from the priest system. And yet we'll see in chapter 16 when Paul is preaching that the Philippian jailer gets saved. But here... No such salvation is found. And the advice from Gamaliel in 34, or Gamaliel, have you used to pronounce it, should have been taken serious by the Jewish leaders. And yes, they do release Peter and John based primarily on his evidence or after considering his advice. But he misses the plan of salvation. The high priest misses the plan of salvation. The Jewish leaders miss the plan of salvation and they die in their sins. They go to hell forever. On top of that, I showed you how it was imperative up until this time in the early church for the people of Israel to accept that Christ is and was their Messiah, how they plotted to crucify him. And until they would accept that, they wouldn't be saved. And yet, after giving the people of Israel the gift of repentance, which is grace, which is the ability to be reconciled to God, they are also given the forgiveness of sins. But... You have to personally appropriate that, which means you have to personally receive it. They wouldn't receive it. They hated him without a cause. They put him to death like their forefathers put the prophets to death back in the Old Testament. And so this battle between the Jewish apostles and the Jewish leaders is going to continue right throughout this book. And on top of that, some people say that the Bible is anti-Semitic. What a stupid statement to make. The writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament were Jews. And I believe Dr. Luke, who's writing this 
book was also a Jew, one of the 70, I believe, so you can't say this is an anti-Semitic book. That makes no sense whatsoever. But what you will discover throughout this piece of scripture is how the Lord is going to inspire the writers of the New Testament, here explicitly being Dr. Luke, of course, to tell you everything that was occurring and the results of what had occurred right under their noses. And on top of that, persecution, suffering is going to follow when you stand up for the Lord. And that's why they were praying to be bold and courageous in the previous chapter. But my overall feeling so far when reading and concluding Acts chapter 5 was this death of a saved couple, which shows me that the Lord is no respecter of persons, and yet he switches from the civilian couple to the Jewish teaching elite, the leaders, because he wants them to be saved as well. And you, you, know, you could ask yourself, why would he bother preaching to unsaved Jewish leaders? Well, because he loves them. He preached to Herod very briefly. He preached to Pontius Pilate very briefly. And here, through the apostles, they are preaching to the Jewish leaders because they have the potential to be saved as well. I don't believe in predestination. I don't believe that God has chosen his elect before the foundation of the world. And that's why I gave the scripture from Romans 9, how Paul said he wished he could be accursed. If it meant his people being saved, and on top of that, you were shown from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, how he was sent to preach to the Jews. He was all things to all people that he might win some to Christ. So that's the lead. That's the role that uh, we find in scripture. That's the example laid down in scripture. And if we can follow Paul's example, that's why you were told to follow Paul as he follows Christ, you'll do great things. But one last time, verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Breaking bread, no doubt. Fellowshipping, absolutely. Worshipping God, completely. But I'll close there from Acts 5 and next time we will pick it up from Acts chapter 6.